Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, hello. I'm trying here. I have a pesky microphone. Hello, how you doing? It's uh, the 27th of June, 2019. It's a Thursday. It's sunny where I am at this moment. Uh, all right, all you good citizens who watched all the debate last night, raise your hands. I watched some. A person can take just so much. Also, it's a bitch living in the Eastern time zone. You know, I'm telling you, people who've lived in the Eastern time zone all their lives do not realize that they are perhaps, I can't speak for mountain and Pacific time, but they are definitely more sleep-deprived than folks living in the central time zone. I'm just saying, having lived in both, um, because so much of it, our lives are dictated, let's admit it, by, or used to be, certainly, by the network programming. And in the central time zone, you'd had to, you had to stay up till 10 to see all the shows and then maybe see the local news. Um, and, of course, on the eastern, it's 11. And I could never understand anyone on the eastern, in eastern time zone ever watching, uh, like, The Tonight Show. <laughs> I mean, don't you have to work? The next morning, I never got it. Um, and, and, you know, events now are still uh, programmed, uh, scheduled, so that folks in the East have to stay up later and everybody else gets uh, to go to bed. <laughs> so I don't know. I, you know, And there's something ludicrous about all those people on the stage, and that's not even half of them. Uh, and the time limit, you know, every question asked could take hours to answer thoughtfully, but of course you can't, and you're given a minute, 90 seconds at the most, I guess. I, can't, I mean, I don't know. I find it very difficult to watch that stuff. I don't know... You know, it might, and if you listen to the chatter this morning about it, I mean, people are all over the place. Uh, people writing about it, people yapping about it. Um, some feel that this one didn't do a good job. Some feel that one did a good job. Generally, the consensus seems to be that Beto O'Rourke hurt himself and looked like the lightweight I've been suggesting he is, and that... Uh, uh, Castro, uh, if there was anybody who broke out and got people's attention, it, it was, uh, was it Julian Castro? Um, I don't know. I'm sorry if you were into it. I, I, I tried half-heartedly, and then I said, screw it, and uh, I went to bed. So tonight I'll try to do better. First of all, I have a friend who insists on coming to watch with me. And secondly, um, well, these are more of the big boys and girls. Uh, so I'll try to make it through uh, tonight. I mean, it's six months. I mean, what? it's like... <laughs> Isn't it a year and a half away? Excuse me. Am I, do I have my dates mixed up? Do I? No. Uh, this is not a this is not a reasonable way uh, to go about this difficult task. All right. I I don't want to. I can't. I can't talk about it. I'll be perfectly frank. There's lots of stuff to talk about, and I have um, just some weird things that I've come across since last I spoke to you 
there was this, which is a, it's a map of the United States, and it shows what is the most commonly spoken language in each state, excluding English and Spanish. I know, well, well, come on. But that can actually, this is from the U.S. Census. What is the most commonly spoken language in every state that after English, which comes in first, and Spanish, which comes in second? And... I have to say that Pennsylvania is a standalone in this regard. There, we have a different answer to that question than any other state. And as far as I can tell, that might be the only... No, I think there are a few others. So, so, okay, so what do you think it is? The third most spoken language in Pennsylvania, which is doesn't show up on anybody else's radar. Um, German is just sort of looking, um, probably the, the most uh, often cited. Um, God, there's lots of Germans in um, those big square states in the West. German, 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 Idaho, Montana. They don't have the state names here, so I'm having to... Nebraska, North Dakota. Um, and then German makes an appearance in um, Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky. That's the, the third one. Uh, so German is well represented. But what do you think it is? And Arabic is the third language in three states. What do you think they would be? They would be Michigan. And Tennessee. And West Virginia. Maybe that is in Tennessee. Yeah, it is. So isn't that odd? Not, because we know there's a huge Arab population in uh, in Michigan, in in uh, Detroit, and other towns. Uh, I'm a little surprised by West Virginia, but I, I don't know. And oh, other than Pennsylvania, there is another state, my home state, that has a language, the third language that nobody else has. So in Wisconsin, the third language spoken after uh, English and, Fr and French, English and Spanish, is Hmong, H-M-O-N-G. There's a huge population, certainly I know in Green Bay, and must be in other parts of the state of uh, Hmong uh, refugees. All right, I'll tell you what it is. And do, do, have you figured it out? I'm, I guess I'm not looking at your, um, if anybody's. Anybody guess about Pennsylvania? No? Okay. Um, after English and German, the third most common language spoken, um, other than, well, I've already said that, is... Pennsylvania Dutch. Hmm. So, other states, just for interest, Chinese uh, is the third language in Massachusetts and in Oregon. Vietnamese is in Texas. And I think that's Oklahoma, too. 
not surprisingly French in uh, Louisiana. I don't know. There's a lot of Korean in uh, the South, which is odd. And, um, and then Portuguese on the, in uh, New England states. A lot of Portuguese fishermen folks there. Uh, but it, it's interesting. And Tagalog. Tagalog, which is the language of, uh, it's Asian, is the third most spoken language in California and Nevada. And the only other outlier that I see is South Dakota, where the third language is uh, Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, Sioux. It's Native American. So, interesting, Illinois is Polish. Um, and Minnesota, Somali. But, uh, I, y you know, it's fascinating that that immigrants, be they German, Vietnamese, uh, Chinese, uh, Somali, Hmong, tend to, uh, yeah, go where others of their kind are. And so, and that perpetuates over generations and generations and generations so that there's that big German presence in the uh, the northern west and uh, also in uh, just to our west with Ohio and, uh, and Indiana. I don't know. Go figure. So that I came across and I thought that was interesting something I didn't know. Uh, a few days ago, we were talking about the moon landing, and um, I played um, a little bit. Of, did I play it? I never played uh, Tom Lehrer singing. No, but I, I read some lyrics of Tom Lehrer um, singing a song about Werner von Braun. Um and uh, pointed and funny. My, my, and my point was to uh, remind people that the expense of going to the moon was not uh, cheered by all uh, people in the country. An awful lot of people, including minority groups, thought it was outrageous that we were spending all of this money to put some people on the moon and bring them back home for bragging rights or something, bring a few rocks back with them. And, uh, you know, there's big, huge problems on the ground that should be addressed. Um, in that regard, somebody, and I thank him, sent me another song that was written uh, and like Lehrer's song, it was in protest of this moon landing. And I will play this one for you. And I, I, I think the words are pretty readily clear. I can never understand any lyrics, but I did understand this. And uh, the uh, composer and uh, performer is Gil Scott Heron accompanying himself on the piano, and the title of the song is Whitey on the Moon. Give a listen. Here's a poem here. It's called Whitey on the Moon. <laughs> and uh, it was inspired, it was inspired by some whiteys on the moon. <laughs> So I want to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> All right. Let's see. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. 
I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night, cause Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me, cause Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. With all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon, how come I ain't got no money here? Mm, Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my bill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. To Whitey on the moon. All right. That's no piano. I know a piano when I hear one. Those were drums. Uh, so, again, just a little you know, historical context because it, it gets lost. Uh, the feeling now in 2019 is that everybody thought Dr. Martin Luther King was this remarkable human being in his life, during his life, and that is patently untrue. Um, and I think, again, there's a danger of not remembering our history and the complexity of it. Uh, things get reduced to, uh, always to these narratives that leave out so much of the complexity and the reality of a given event or a given time. And it's like that classic quote about history is written by the, the winners. Um, the powerful write these narratives and uh, leave other people's protests, stories, efforts to be heard. They get over time left out. It is always left to some academic somewhere, some scholar to you know, resurrect something like this and to put it in front of us. But I guess it will ever be uh, thus. And one of the things that you do realize when you do uh, dig a little bit into any period of time in our history is you see that it, it is always fraught. There's no doubt, though, because any of us who have been alive throughout our lifetime can make, maybe it always feels like this is, these are the worst of times. I think a lot of us would argue in our lifetimes these are. But, you know, you look at the civil rights era, the 50s and the 60s, and for, I mean, those were, those were rough times, and the nation was divided and at each other's throats, and there was violence, and, and, and there was terroristic violence. Um, I think we forget, <laughs> and, and our, our needs, well, maybe it's just easier to remember the good stuff, or this, I, I don't know. I'm trying so hard to understand us humans because I increasingly, despite the many wondrous people in the world, overall I think we're, a, as you know, a pretty sorry uh, lot. That was very apparent yesterday. Oh, fuck! Excuse me. The Supreme Court. What did I just see? It's bad. It's bad. It's not surprising. It's the decision on uh, on partisan gerrymandering. I just saw a little alert and then it disappeared. Where's my phone? Um, somebody send it to me, please. Uh, 
Jeez. Um, I think that if, if what I saw ex- very quickly in my uh, periphery, uh, I saw that correctly, is that they have said, uh, what, that partisan gerrymandering is A-OK? Give me a friggin' break. Okay, I don't have it yet, but I will. The other uh, case that I guess we're going to get a decision on today, and I'm not holding my breath on this one either, is uh, regarding the uh, citizenship question on the census, which uh, which is all about uh, keeping people from uh, being counted, which always means it's generally Democratic-leaning people that don't get counted, and uh, that means that, that, again, in apportioning congressional representation and legislative uh, uh, gerrymandering, they're going to be able, as 5-4 decision, the federal courts must Stay out of disputes over politicians drawing district lines. The federal courts must stay out. So they did it based on states' rights? What? 5-4. We needn't ask who the five are. We needn't ask who the four are. Strangely, yeah, God. Okay. That has a huge impact. And it's another reason why uh, voters have got to understand you cannot have your state legislature controlled by the same party, especially if that's not the party that you vote for in national elections. People tend to vote, they'll send they'll vote for Democrats at the national level and then they vote for these oh God. Anyway, Supreme Court thank you, Milton. I've got a bigger story here. Ah, oh, this is unhappy. Um The ruling is every bit as far-reaching as voting rights advocates feared. For example, a Republican-led legislature in North Carolina or elsewhere can redraw now their district lines in a way that disenfranchises minorities. Black people usually is what they're up to, and those are also slash Democrats. And there, according to this ruling now, there would be no way to appeal that blatant effort to skew the vote beyond the circuit court level. And it actually seems that the Supreme Court is saying that not even circuit courts should look. The holding here I guess this is from the this is from the ruling the decision. The holding here is that such claims are not should justice I don't know how to pronounce that word. Justiciable, justiciable. They are not adjudicatable. That's not what it says, but that's the intent. How do you pronounce J U S T I C I A-B-L-E, justiciable, justiciable, I can't say it, but then I used to not be able to say Buttigieg, and now I can, so there's always hope. The holding here, they say, is that such claims of absolute outrageous partisan gerrymandering by Republicans... are not the kind of things that courts can decide.
if what you're complaining about is, hey, wait a minute, this, these guys just redrew, look at this. Don't tell me that's a reasonable district. And they clearly redrew it going, you know, cutting neighbor from neighbor because they're trying to maintain or even grow their majority in the legislature. And the Supreme Court said today, uh, if that's what your complaint is, well, tough. All right. Okay. <laughs> Elections have consequences. Hey, you Bernie bros, you Bernie guys, who sat it out because you weren't going to vote for Hillary. Well, you gave us this too. You gave us this. You who sat it out because you couldn't stand the thought of voting for that woman you didn't like. This court would not look like it does. This would be, we would not be in the state we are in. Elections have consequences. God damn you. And speaking of a state whose gerrymandered, partisan gerrymandered, didn't hold up because the state Supreme Court put a stop to it. We got lucky here in Pennsylvania. We did take care of this. And meanwhile in Harrisburg, have you seen? Have you seen the spectacle in the state senate yesterday i can't even begin to describe it i'm if i'm sure tv showed it to you or, or did they not are they too busy doing a fire hydrant uh, i would think they would have liked this one cuz it's with shouting and stuff this was in harrisburg the republicans that control the Senate in Harrisburg. We're trying to get rid of a, and this will not shock you, remember I'm talking about Republicans. They were trying to get rid of a very small assistance program for the poor. This is something that in terms of a budget is like pss, that little and it is a general assistance fund. And the people who get it are the lowest of the low. One of the guys who now won't be getting it anymore, if this holds, was there, tried to speak, was ushered out. He says, we have to struggle every day. These people, these people, he's looking at the senators, they come in here, this opulent place, wearing new clothes and hair done and brand new car, and there's people out in the street dying. Um... The lieutenant governor, John Fetterman, presides over the Senate. And there he was, looking strange and uncomfortable in a suit and tie. All six feet and eight inches of him, whatever he is. And the video shows him standing there mutely, not taking control, it seems, as a Republican senator screams and screams and screams, You're a political hack! I demand the vote! I demand... And meanwhile, this woman, a Democratic senator, is trying to read a letter from a poor woman 
who she represents, who is pleading not to take this assistance fund away. And you can't hear the woman. She is being shouted over by these. It's. It was unbelievable. It really was a scene of such embarrassment. I. Democrats walked out. Minority leader Jay Costa said, I've never seen anything like, like that. What happened is one of the Republicans, uh, the president pro tem of the Senate, grabbed the gavel from Fetterman had gone down trying, I don't know. It, it's lucky it didn't, you know, Fetterman, of course, could have like, and that would have been the end of it. I almost wish he had. Uh, I don't know. The guy who was screaming is a guy named Jake Corman. He is the Republican majority leader of the Senate. And he's screaming things over the Democratic uh, Senator Katie Muth, who's trying to read this letter from a woman who... And the letter would break your heart. Every once in a while you could hear a little bit of it and it was like, oh my God. And Corman is screaming, Mr. President, you're a partisan hack. Do your job. Do your job. And before it was over, the Republicans prevailed, of course, and um, they got rid of this little, and it's a little program. What is it about them? That there's never a program that helps people who are down and out that they don't want to trash. And there's never a program that will benefit the rich that they will not fight tooth and nail for. How do you... I don't know. Um... I um, I know I was looking for a quote and I can't find it. I, I <coughs> what else we got? Oh, speaking of Pennsylvania Republicans, I'm sure you saw this. Uh, the head of the Pennsylvania GOP. Uh, has resigned um, because of unbelievably disgusting, explicit text messages and pictures of his penis sent to a Philadelphia City Council candidate. He sent her a photo of his genitals and said it was her duty to the party to send photos of her genitalia back to him, promising, quote, to get you to the White House at some point. <sighs> I, what? What is it? with these guys what is it I, I okay um what are we going to talk about now 
Milton writes, the Gil Scott Heron you just played reminded me of this Langston Hughes poem. As a result of the U.S. embrace, as the rat, oh, i sorry, as the rest of, of the U.S. embraced the benefits of the New Deal, black folks were mostly excluded. And in this poem, Langston Hughes speaks from the perspective of the forgotten. Can I read it? Yeah. It's called Ballad of Roosevelt. The pot was empty. The cupboard was bare. I said, Papa, what's the matter here? I'm waiting on Roosevelt, son. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, waiting on Roosevelt, son. The rent was due and the lights was out. I said, tell me, Mama, what's it all about? We're waiting on Roosevelt, son. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, just waiting on Roosevelt. Sister got sick, and the doctor wouldn't come because we couldn't pay him the proper sum. A waiting on Roosevelt, 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 a waiting on Roosevelt. Then one day they put us out of the house. Ma and Pa was meek as mouse, still waiting on Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. But when they felt those cold winds blow, and didn't have no place to go. Pa said, I'm tired of waiting on Roosevelt. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, damn tired of waiting on Roosevelt. I can't get a job. I can't get no grub. Backbone and navels doing the belly rub. A waiting on Roosevelt. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, and a lot of other folks. What's hungry and cold. Done stop believing what they've been told by Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Roosevelt, because the pot's still empty and the cupboard's still bare and you can't build a bungalow out of air. Mr. Roosevelt, listen. What's the matter here? Roger writes, many Southerners want to turn the Civil War into a states' rights war. I can sort of see that, but it was about slavery. The right side won, the wrong side lost. Were there bad people in the North? Yeah, but so what? Based on today's Supreme Court decision, is it much of a stretch to go back and let states decide if slave labor is their business? The Supreme Court just disenfranchised millions with today's decision. Yeah, but millions of Democrats and black people. So what's the problem? They're letting states dictate that women don't have control of their bodies. Are we going back to the Confederate States of America? It didn't work well with our fledgling nation, and I don't think it's going to work well for our dying nation. You say elections have consequences. I don't know about that with this Supreme Court and people's indifference. Well, it ain't done for today. It's going to get worse. And speaking of women's bodies, I came across this, and I can't. A woman who was five months pregnant in Alabama gets into an argument with another woman outside of a dollar general store, and the non-pregnant woman who she's arguing with a woman named Ebony Jemison 23 years old shot her in the stomach and killed the the unborn child. So initially, of course, the police, understandably, charged the woman who had 
shot the pregnant woman in the stomach, they charged her. But the case against her got dismissed after a grand jury failed to indict her. And so the cops went and arrested the woman who was shot, who lost her baby. And now I quote the Pleasant Grove police lieutenant, Danny Reed. The investigation showed that the only true victim in this was the unborn baby. It was the mother of the child who initiated the fight, which resulted in the death of her unborn baby. Let's not lose sight that the unborn baby is the victim here. She had no choice in being brought... Oh, she is the baby. The baby had no choice in being brought unnecessarily into a fight. Where, where it was relying on her mother for protection. The five-month fetus was dependent on its mother to try to keep it from harm. And she shouldn't have sought out unnecessary physical altercations. So the mother who was shot is now in the county jail held on $50,000 bond, which she, of course, cannot pay. She is charged with manslaughter for being pregnant and getting shot. Is there something I am not understanding here? She didn't have a gun? The woman with the gun is not charged? And the only victim here is the unborn? The National Network of Abortion Funds released a statement last night. The state of Alabama has proven yet again that the moment a person becomes pregnant, their sole responsibility is to produce a live, healthy baby, and that the state considers any action that a pregnant person takes that might impede in that live birth to be a criminal act. So today, Marsha Jones is being charged with manslaughter for being pregnant and getting shot while engaging in an altercation with a person who had a gun. Tomorrow, it will be another black woman, maybe for having a drink. And after that, another for maybe not obtaining adequate prenatal care. You know, I'm increasingly living in a world I don't comprehend. Um, and something that's pretty rough. No, that's not it. Uh, this was from the Washington Post. A guy who normally writes about art and architecture, his name is Philip Kennicott, and he was moved to write a, a very tough piece about human nature a subject that fascinates and depresses the hell out of me. And it regards the picture of the father and daughter lying dead in that muddy water. 
And I'm not going to read it all to you, but he makes clear... Well, I'll give a little bit. Unknown to most of the world until this week, they, Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez and his daughter Valeria, they are now briefly famous. A toddler in red shorts and tiny shoes tucked inside her father's dark t-shirt, seemingly at rest as if napping with her dad on a hot afternoon. The intimacy of their apparent embrace gives the image its essential power. Images like this, in which the innocence of childhood highlights the cruelty of humanity, elicits one response. Warmth, empathy, which is then immediately subverted by a darker, sadder truth. The double message, the innocent first take followed by the bitter second one, is a basic emotional mechanism that kicks in with these kinds of images. These images have broken through our resistance to seeing pain and tragedy in the world. Caller yesterday said, I haven't looked at that picture. I don't want to look at that picture. We do not want to. Pictures like this break through our resistance. And then we imagine that they must break through the collective conscience as powerful as they are. They enter our consciousness almost by stealth and then explode. And that is how we assume they will work in the public square too. So the image gets shared on social media and is seen repeatedly on cable TV and sometimes in the newspapers. As it circulates, we believe it will acquire enough force and that our political leaders will have to do something, something different, change policies, reverse course, revise their understanding of the severity of the problem. The metaphor of breaking through, however, relies on an understanding of the human conscience that is being sorely tested. Not just in the United States, but in every country where nationalism and nativist populism are creating divisions between us and them, between the rightful folk and the supposedly illegal outsiders. The thing that needs to be broken through is a basic sluggishness in the moral apparatus, a resistance to doing the hard work of humanizing the other. But when nationalism has successfully dehumanized the other, there is no breaking through. And people who imagine that a photographic message must assuredly be so powerful that it will touch all hearts are forced to grapple with a more confounding truth. Not all consciences operate alike. Not everyone is susceptible to what seems a basic, even rudimentary level of empathy. And so there's a paradox. We resist the idea of living in an us-versus-them world only to find that our basic sense of us is already fractured. We look out at our fellow humans and can't honestly understand how their minds work. At some level, we think 
Can't you see what is happening here? As if seeing and understanding are identical. The photograph as an exercise of conscience requires some time, effort, and openness. A fully human sense of who is represented. This one photograph tells us very little about Ramirez and Valeria. And perhaps with all the attention it has received, we will learn more about the reality of who they were. But just as important is the imaginative reality of the viewer's effort to sense them as fellow humans, absolutely identical in value and dignity to our children. Of course, some people don't do this work. Images of tragedy that arrive often have an off-ramp. You may look at this photo and think that its message is, we are all hoping for a better life and will take extraordinary risks on behalf of those we love. But someone else is going to look at it and say, people shouldn't cross borders without permission. Bad things happen to those who break the law. The fundamental difference between those two different interpretations of that picture are that one requires time and effort and an act of engaged empathy, while the other is just a quick judgment that reaffirms an existing sense of the world. The day after these two people perished in the Rio Grande, the President of the United States dismissed an accusation that he had sexually assaulted a prominent author in the 1990s. He used a phrase similar to one he has used in the past to deflect similar allegations. She's not my type. But it, that, is a perfect summation of our new and deformed American conscience. It is pithy and dismissive, an invitation to look at people who have been victimized and see only otherness. It shuts down any understanding of trauma before empathy has begun to interrogate how trauma is felt and experienced. For anyone who wants an off-ramp to the moral demands made by a picture like that, Trump gave them the universal caption. Hmm. They weren't our type. All one and the same. Oh no! Oh my God! Good news! In a surprising ruling, the Supreme Court has just prevented the Trump administration from adding a citizenship question. Yes! So they, oh, I guess that's what Roberts does. He's going to go this way. Hey, hey, you uh, right-wingers, I'll give you this one, and you do-gooder types, I'll give you this one. That they act on the one and not the other when both are about voter suppression. They're both about voter suppression. 5-4 opinion. And Roberts was the swing. And he... <laughs> the decision is surprising because the court's conservative majority was expected to side with the administration. Wow. Oh. All right. Well, that's good. Oh, we, shut up. We have a caller. Shut up. I'll sit up. Shh, shh. 
I can't I can't find it in time. Caller, go ahead. Hello. It seems like those the people that are surprised by those decisions are the ones who somehow continue to believe that things that are said during the hearing have something to do with the outcome. They never that never seems to be the case. Uh, but that isn't what I wanted to ask you about. What, what did you say was the universal, uh, the universal caption that Trump gave us? They aren't our. They aren't our type. Like he said about the accusations about the woman who said he raped. Yeah, she said, I mean, she's not my so, type. And the people, the child and father, they aren't our type. They're brown right. and no, they I mean, don't, you know, that's you it. It's a way of discounting um, uh, a common humanity. It's a way of, right. yeah. But do you think that that's, I mean, do you really believe that's new? Like, I mean, what was the reason given whenever they were lynching people or... Well, no, no. I'm uh, not saying it's new. I'm talking no. about it's a it's a unhappy lesson in uh, in human nature, and and, and yeah, that I mean, people who have empathy really cannot comprehend the people who are incapable of it. And 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 I guess no. we didn't realize how many there are. You're right. Uh, it has ever been no, thus, I but I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I would, it is incomprehensible. And I, the first thing I was actually thinking about is at the end, I mean, I, I don't even know why I called, but I had, like, racing thoughts, and so I started dialing the phone. <laughs> but uh, the, the first thought I had was that those, the townspeople, remember in, our, in the towns surrounding the concentration camps, and uh, during, after the, well, as they were being liberated, they were forced to go and see what yes. they had been ignoring in the right. midst of them. So that, I mean, that was the first thought that went into my head when you said that there are people refusing to look at these pictures. And, like, kind of, to me, it feels like we have a responsibility to look at those, that, well, I mean, all those pictures, but it's like the kid that washed up on the beach of Italy or, or Exactly Europe, right. Like, it's the same thing. Right. And he refers, and he refers of, to that. Yeah. A piece of my of personal history that I didn't know about until I was discussing this with my mother yesterday is that... I don't know exactly what year this happened, but I think it was in the late 60s. She was telling me that she did not know that the Holocaust had even happened until my father showed her a picture that his brother had brought come back from World War II with that was of, you know, basically of the camps. But I don't know anything about where, as far as I know, that uncle was not at any of the camps. So I don't know where he got this picture that he brought back with him and then well, maybe uh, he was part of maybe he was part of the liberation of a camp. I don't know. He had never it's he never mentioned that it. He was huh. he never mentioned it, and you know, it, they, you know, up until two thousand one, talked about their service. So I don't. Uh, it's entirely possible, and he was an amateur photographer and had a black room, so he you know a dark room, so he may have. Made copies of this image. I, I don't. I haven't even seen it yet. I didn't know it existed till yesterday. But uh, uh, you know, I, I just seems like there's an inhumanity of people that we all need to face up to the fact that it exists. And like, I don't know. But I guess the question is, I don't understand how you make the indifferent people that basically seem to populate the Republican Party. I don't know how you change their hearts on any of this stuff. Well, I think I think I think this guy's point is you can't, and as he said, all consciences don't work the same. They're they're the ones who always fall for this, uh, you know, uh, dehumanization of another group to somehow make them feel safer, and and that's what allows atrocities to happen. All the time. Right. That's every the way every so many days. It used to be every so many years. Now it seems like every so many days they move <laughs> on to a new group they, that they hate and that they yeah. want yeah. that is inhuman. Uh, so I, I don't know what the answer is. Well, well, that makes a few yeah, of yesterday us. Yesterday I was arguing with conservatives that, you know, people who had student loan debt are, are worthless in their eyes. <laughs> oh, God. 
you know. All right. Hey, listen. I appreciate the call and the torrent of thoughts that uh, that uh, preceded it. Uh, But I'm I'm out of time. So thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Um, Wow. Boy, that was a mixed bag. Gee whiz. Anyway. Good night and good luck. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.